Hello everyone and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola from clevergirlfinance.com and today I have a special guest. Her name is Kenya Hoffmeyer. Kenya is originally from Milwaukee and she spent three years working in New York City before moving to Paris on a whim in 2013. Uh, she's a self-proclaimed multi-passionate creative and she released her first book called 30 Day Connect last year and she also participates in various conferences and speaking engagements around network working, leadership, and women's empowerment. And Kenya is also a podcast listener, which is how we met. And she saved $30,000 over a short period of time, which allowed her to make that big move to Paris to live her dream life, essentially. And in this episode, she talks about her background with money, her mindset starting with being able to get her college education paid for on scholarship, what she did to save that $30,000, and her financial goals while living in another country. She also shares her financial mistakes and the lessons she's learned and where she sees herself and her finances in the next few years, as well as advice for women who are listening who want to pursue a similar path to what she's been able to accomplish. So I actually got to meet Kenya because we recorded this episode a few weeks before I went to Paris and that was several weeks back and we went to lunch and we had such a great time. So you guys are going to enjoy listening to this episode. She has such a warm personality and I'm really excited to share this with you guys. But before before we dive into the episode with Kenya, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please do. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and you can also listen to episodes on the Clerical Finance YouTube channel. And if you love what you're listening to, I would appreciate it if you can rate and review this podcast on iTunes so that other women can find this podcast as well. And finally, head over to clevergirlfinance.com and check out the brand new content I have on there to help you as you work on improving your finances. And be sure to subscribe on the Clever Girl Finance website as well. So let's talk to Kenya. Hey, Kenya, welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. Hi, Bula. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be recording with you because you're all the way in Paris, which is amazing. <laughs> I am. <laughs> and we're just talking about hopefully us meeting up because I'm supposed to be in Paris in a week and a half. So that will be exciting if I can meet one of my listeners in person. Yeah, that would be exciting for me too. I love meeting people in Paris who come from all over because it gives me a new perspective on the city. Everyone's so excited and wants to be in Paris. So it really reminds you how fortunate you are. Yeah, I've been there a couple times and it just, it never got, it never gets old ever. It does. I love the city. Okay, so let's kind of dive in and I wanted you to share with my audience who you are and what you do. Uh, right. Well, those are always two questions that I have a hard time answering, actually, because for, for the past uh, few years, I've been in constant evolution, both personally and professionally. Uh, but I guess professionally, I work part time in the sector of corporate social responsibility for a French multinational company. And essentially, my day involves administrative duties, uh, analysis, so collecting sustainability data for our annual report, and also working on social internal projects, such as uh, projects empowering women, and a project that I'm really proud of that we've just launched with the United Nations on combating hunger. So my days are never the same, um, but it's really fun to work in this space. Um, and I'm excited that I actually get to do it part-time because that leaves the rest of my days to do other projects and activities that I am passionate about, such as writing, 
uh, I recently released my first book uh, a couple months ago and um, just painting and doing other activities. So I really like this uh, work-life balance that I have. But so essentially to answer your question of who you are and what do you do, I consider myself a curious, multi-passionate creative woman. Uh, every day I try to connect with others and create and explore and give back. So I, I'm never bored. <laughs> <laughs> but just to kind of talk more about your story, I'd love for you to share, you know, how you grew up with money, your personal story around it, the mistakes that you made. Just kind of share some insights of your experience with money so far. Yes. So um, I'm sure this is the same for most people whether you are really poor or really rich, uh, maybe it's just the condition of our society, I don't know, but money has always been at the center of everything to a certain respect. It could have been the source of joy in the past for me, uh, obviously, but also a source of pain uh, when finances weren't that great. Uh, so growing up, my parents were not wealthy by any means. It was very much paycheck to paycheck. Uh, but when I needed something, my parents were able to provide. But I also was very aware that things were fragile financially and that money couldn't be wasted. So I was exposed to the consequences of that when they were. We'll just put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, but in high school, I think my parents did their best to you know, teach me about personal finances. Uh, they took me to open my first savings and checking account when I started working at 16. And one conversation that I really remember uh, with my mom was actually the summer before going to college. I remember, um, you know, they know when we turn 18 and I got all these mails asking me to sign up for credit cards. <laughs> I, you, you know what I'm talking about. All these different things that I never experienced. And my mom's freaking out. She's like, you know, you have, you have to be smart with your money. Okay, let's go through these, uh, go through these offers and see which one has the, the best interest rate, the best, uh, the best terms for, for a young lady and so we ended up picking a credit card because I needed one that was her what she understood to be a rule and what I did too was to have at least one credit card for emergencies and to this day actually it's my oldest credit line so thanks mom I, I did pick a good card it was <laughs> nice <laughs> but um, you know coming from a modest background uh, I think made me more resourceful or in the positive pursuit of money I guess you could say uh, I always had side hustles. So, for example, in high school, I had an after-school job. And in the summers, I worked at State Fair, actually selling horrible makeup. It, it really was. I'm sorry <laughs> to the people that bought it. <laughs> but I earned a lot on commission, so I was a good saleswoman. Um, and in college, I worked two campus jobs, uh, and sometimes I would even canvas for political parties or work on the census. I did that when it came around in 2010, uh, even to the point of, I kind of, well, I don't regret it now, but um, the night President Obama got elected, I was the only one of my group of friends not celebrating because that night I worked as equipment manager all night long at my local polling station <laughs> because they were offering, like, I think it was like, $500 if you work the, the night. I said, okay, I had to do it. <laughs> so you were focusing on your personal economy, which is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I, I got to I got to party the day after, just not the night of. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, that's just all to say that I always felt like I needed, as you said, to put money aside, to focus on my personal finance. 
and to optimize how much I was making. And I think that was really just ingrained in me because of how I grew up and just the money that we didn't have. And I think that really helped me in terms of my education and my financial independence later on because my parents, you know, they always told me that, well, not so directly, but they made it known that they didn't have much money for me to go to college or to support my tuition. So I just knew in my head I had to pay for it myself or I had to find scholarships. So I applied to a lot of scholarships, believe me. <laughs> and my sights were really set on the Gates Millennium Scholarship because I knew that would cover anything. That was like, holy grail. <laughs> so I worked really hard on that application and I actually received the scholarship. So I graduated debt free. That's yeah, amazing. So that was, yeah, that was probably my biggest, uh, what I'll always thank my parents for is one, kind of putting the responsibility in my court, saying you really need to take care of this, but also giving me the support and the means to make that happen, to uh, work hard in school and, and, and get a scholarship like that. That's amazing. And there's a couple of things that you said that I just wanted to touch on. So you talked about yeah. money being at the center of everything. And that is so true because, <laughs> you know, outside of your health, money touches mm -hmm. every aspect of your life. So if you're not healthy, then you don't really have anything. Um, you know, that's everything else is a struggle. But if you're healthy, you know, when you look at your life, there is no part of your life that money cannot help improve. And so it is something that's at the center of you know, most people's, if not everyone's life, money is a big right. deal. Um, and I love the fact that you had side hustles and you were making <laughs> money because that allowed you to earn more money. So you didn't have to rely, you know, on that first credit card that your mom got you. And now you still have it just to have it, but it's not <laughs> right. like you're living your life and it's not your emergency card because you were putting money aside. And the, the other thing I wanted to say that is I love the fact that you had intention, right? So you knew mm -hmm. you wanted to go to college and you knew you didn't want to go to college in debt. And so you figured out exactly what you needed to do by writing all those applications and actually getting a scholarship that paid for your entire ride. And, you know, that is the power of intention. I think a lot of times people tell themselves, well, you know, there's no way I can pay for this. So I'm, I'm just meant to get student loan debt. I'm just meant to get debt. I'm just meant right. to be broke. But when you set an intention that okay I'm not sure how I'm gonna pay these tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars like you did but I'm mm -hmm. going to figure out a way you actually when you set the intention in your mind you know and this is a mindset thing you kind of say okay I've set this intention I need to figure this out and so you start making the efforts and you start putting in the action to figure out okay where do I apply what do I apply what are the options out there and then your your intention actually became a reality for you it it kind of channeled into you know a reality for you in the sense that you were able to get your that amazing scholarship you know as opposed to you saying oh I can't do it and then just finding the next financial aid office and signing up for the student loans so that's amazing right <laughs> right I think it's true and, and that's totally true you talk about intention or just realizing that you you are in control uh, of, of what you do uh, what you say what you think I think that's really I feel like I'm, I'm my dad saying that right now but that was definitely the rhetoric he 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 would always tell me he was the kind of guy who told me no one owes you anything. You're in control of, of what you do, what happens to you. And so if you want something, go get it, you know, that type of philosophy. And I think that's so true. Um, of course, um, you can put in a lot of effort and not receive a, a scholarship or something that you want. But I think, as you said, so many people are just quick to be, oh, well, loans, that's the norm. And it's not true at all. There's so much money in so many different places that you just really have to go out there and, and get it, especially for education. 
Absolutely. So you are in, you know, you you moved to Paris. You used to live in the States. Mm-hmm. And what was your financial situation like before you moved to Paris? So before I moved to Paris, um, I was pretty comfortable financially. Uh, I lived in New York City, and as we both know, it's an expensive city. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Maybe the most expensive, I'm not, I don't know. Um, but so I, before I moved there, I really designed my life in a way that would allow me to save. So while many people I knew were trying to get a nice Brooklyn apartment or squeeze into a fourth roommate situation in an overpriced Manhattan apartment. Oh, yeah, I know all about those apartments. You're right. (laughs) They're so expensive. (laughs) They're so expensive. And sometimes they're really nice apartments. It's like, gee, I can't. You have five people. Well, like, there's in like this ten one of you place. living there, exactly. Then ten. you know it's it's nice, but then it's overcrowded and not to this no is privacy. not against anyone who's in that space, but I feel like you know, there's so many better options. You don't have to live in the middle of in Midtown or in Tribeca right. if it's so expensive. You can live in Brooklyn and Queens. Those are beautiful neighborhoods too. They're beautiful neighborhoods. And I went even north. I chose to live in the Bronx. So <laughs> um, I, I, since I work there, um, anyway, I, I actually, my school that I was working at was in Hunts Point. I lived in Parkchester, which is a family community. I found a nice one-bedroom apartment that I could afford on my own. And it was actually next to the metro and everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, going to Manhattan took a little bit longer. And I only went to Brooklyn on special occasions because, let's be honest, that was kind of far. So, but it was the sacrifice that I was willing to make, especially with me being my sole source of income. I wasn't supported by anyone. And, you know, because teachers are not very well paid, I also didn't want to take any financial risks. I was 22. I just graduated. I just started a job. So I knew I had to to be smart in this respect as well. Mm-hmm. So um, my philosophy of side hustles didn't end after I graduated. So even when I was teaching, I worked with tutoring agencies after work as side hustles to, to tutor. And because the hourly rate was really good, so that helped me save and then, of course, uh, I know, uh, Bola, you've talked about this with your personal stories, um, saving those extra bonuses that mm-hmm. I received over the years and just putting them into my general savings and not touching them really helped. So all in all, um, after between 2010 and 2012, after two and a half years of saving, I had roughly $30,000 saved just from all this effort. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like a baby pile compared to some of the speakers you've had on your podcast. No, but, that uh... is, no, no, no. So that is a huge deal. It's not a baby pile. $30,000 is a lot of money, right? And it is. you know that because you um, use that money to make that transition to moving to Paris. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. a huge, that's, that basically helped you change your life. That's a big amount of money. So you shouldn't minimize that at all. Yeah, it, it really did. And, and what's funny is, and kind of the subject of our talk in a way is just the, the purpose of that money. So when I first started saving, like initially, initially, and I first got my job, it was just, I know I need to save it. I don't have a, a specific goal right now, but I just know I need to save. And then as I started saving more, it was okay. Um, Maybe I'll be able to buy uh, a condo when I'm 26, 27. You know, I'll be able to use this as a deposit. And so 
the year and a half before I moved, that was really my mindset. I'm saving for a deposit um, on a, on a condo or a home, not not New York, back in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that wasn't gonna give me anything in New York. Um, but um, it's funny how in the course of a couple of months that changed from uh, my condo <laughs> deposit to my going across the world and I don't know what I'm doing yet, uh, fund. <laughs> so let me ask you this, right? You you had saved this $30,000 um, mm-hmm. and why Paris? What made you <laughs> want to go to Paris? Like, what was it? Well, Audrey Hepburn said Paris is always a good idea, right? <laughs> it, it, it is. <laughs> no, but you know, other people have asked me this question too and I really don't have an answer to that question actually. Um, I guess you could say it's because I wanted a complete change of scenery, culture, language, continent, clearly. Uh, I always wanted to live in NYC, and now I knew that what that was like. So my next dream was really to experience life in a European capital. Mm-hmm. And since I studied French in high school, though by 25 years old I didn't retain much, um, I was kind of familiar or I felt connected to the country in a way. And also just the first time I visited Paris, I remember being so enamored by the city. Uh, It didn't, it was one of those few places I visited where I didn't feel like it was overrated. If you know what I mean, it was just Mm -hmm. perfect. It was how it should be. So I guess uh, subconsciously that stuck with me and I decided to move there. (laughs) And you know, the, the point, I think the biggest, the most obvious point is that having the money gave you options, right? And that's what money mm-hmm. does. It gives you options right. to live your best life, to live life on your own terms. And you moving to Paris was you saying, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere I really want to be. And that's you living life on your own terms. That's you choosing. That's you having the freedom. And so, you know, like when you think about all the effort you put into saving and all, and for those of you listening, all the effort you're putting into paying off your debt and to saving money and to saving for retirement and saving for the things you want to do, travel, vacation, whatever your your thing is, right? So Kina, your thing was moving to Paris. But for people mm-hmm. listening, whatever your thing, thing is, when you're thinking about all that effort you're putting into it, like your experience being able to save that 30,000 and then actually take that step, it makes it all worth it, right? Right. Definitely. Um, as you said, it really was the, the financial freedom um, that I I was experiencing for the first time because it's one thing to have the money and save the money, um, but then actually use that money to act on a goal or to, to live out your, your dream or a goal that you have had. And then that's when you really feel that financial freedom and it, it is liberating. <laughs> So you've been in Paris for about five years now, right? Yes. And what have been your biggest financial lessons now that you moved there, you've settled in there, you got a job, you're obviously working on saving money again for your future self, for your other goals. Um, Yeah. And you basically moved there and started over from zero. I mean, well, not from zero. You had some money to kind of get you in there. But of course, you've had to kind of like lay out your financial goals again over the last five years. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I guess we could start uh, with my arrival in in France and just the transition from then till now. But um, in retrospect, when I think about my move to Paris, I think I didn't give myself as much time to put things in order as I should have. Uh, This meant my first few months in the city, I ended up paying for an overpriced small studio in Paris 
They're referred to as uh, un chambre de bonne, and it's literally attic <laughs> apartments. Yes, attic apartments that were made for like domestic help back in the day, and they've just been converted into small, overpriced apartments now. <laughs> and um, I have pictures; it's really hilarious. So uh, when you come to Paris, I have to show you. No, but so that's where I lived in these literally like a uh, fifteen meter square apartments um, because I was in such a rush to find a place. Um, and so I, and also I went through an agency to do it because I wanted some place that was sure that was a, a concrete um, solution. I needed a contract, you know. I wanted something that was furnished, and above all, as a woman traveling so solely, I wanted something that was safe. Mm -hmm. So I went through an agency and I paid a little extra money, but now I know I definitely could have gotten something cheaper. But for people listening, that's not the only way going through an expat agency. Of course, Airbnb, they have long-term listings. Um, in France, there's a website called Particulier à Particulier that really means like private landlords, independent landlords um, who rent apartments to people individually without an agent in between. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's what you feel comfortable with. If you want that added security, you know, if you're a woman and you want something that, you know, is sure and vetted, then definitely go through an agency. But take your time to choose and, and look at the different apartments that are available. Um, so that was the first thing, um, the first mistake that I think I made. Um, but what I think I did well was a few months before moving to Paris, I chose to monitor my spending the months before I left. Uh, because I didn't know what financial place I would be in in the months to come. So I only was purchasing necessities or things I was unsure I'd be able to get in France. For example, I used my health benefits before they expired mm -hmm. uh, to get a new pair of glasses, a dental visit, prescriptions, stuff like that. Very smart. And yeah, <laughs> use it all up. Yeah, you paid then, for it, um, so you should use right? it. Okay. <laughs> And then I also bought my one-way plane ticket using my miles that I had not touched in like a year or two. So I was really proud of that. And the thing that was probably the smartest and that I really advise people to do if they are not sure what they're going to be doing or don't know what foot they're going to land on when they arrive is to secure a part-time job. For us English speakers, there's so many agencies in Paris that are looking for um English teachers or tutors. Mm -hmm. So even before I had left, I secured a part-time job teaching English with a small agency. All the interviews happened over Skype and everything like that, so I was able to do it. So even though the pay wasn't great, I knew that I would have an activity outside of the French classes I signed up for and some extra income so that I wouldn't just be relying on my savings and not know what to do if something happened. That so um, yeah, that was a really... That made a difference. That's amazing. And, you know, that's definitely, you know, great information to get someone thinking, especially someone who's thinking about making a big transition, maybe not to another country, but to another state or another city. You know, these are some things that you, you should start thinking about, like finding a job in advance or at least a part time job in advance, leveraging your benefits now so you don't have to for the things that you need now. So you don't have to stress about them when you don't have those benefits, when you're in between jobs, um, using your miles for your, your ticket. Those are really, really smart <laughs> <Right>. things. <laughs> right, right. It's true. And then don't stop there. So then even once you arrive, still play it safe. I know it's easy when you land somewhere new or you start a new job, you 
you know, you want to be a baller, you want to like just go crazy because you're so excited and it's like really you have to calm yourself down. Okay, I will admit that the first week I was there, I ate at a couple fancy restaurants and bought like a, a, a nice silk scarf, but then I was like, okay, Kenya, you're done now. You're, you're back to you're back to strict budget. And so what I actually did was went back to the envelope system <laughs> for like a couple months and, you know, just rent was in that envelope, groceries was in that envelope, and it really made you aware of the budget, you know, when you're midweek and you're like, okay, okay Kenya, uh, enough entertainment, you're blowing it in four days, and it really makes you visually aware of what you're spending. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you talked about, you know, your first apartment being a mistake, but if there was anything else that you could... Um, do over right given your mm -hmm. five years in Paris or even before you went to Paris while you were in New York um what would it be knowing um, knowing what you know now I think the biggest thing that I would do over is really understanding how banking systems actually work in your adopted country or even if you're not uh, changing countries, uh, but you're staying in the United States, for example, really taking the time to go to the bank and talking to a bank representative or your bank counselor about your options, about um, investment tools, about um, how you can put your money to good use. Uh, in the, For example, when I was in the United States, uh, I had a bank. I had never seen the person that was on those business cards. You know, you open your bank and they give you your business card the first day and then mm -hmm. you, you throw that somewhere. You don't even know who your <laughs> bank representative is. I had never talked to them before. Uh, and okay, I'm going to be really embarrassed when I say this. And when I was 22, you know, I thought the adult thing to do was to open a Roth IRA and with Scott Trade and start investing in stocks. I had no idea about investing in stocks or what ETFs were or any of this. And I remember the Scott Trade guy called me on the phone and he's like, yeah, so can I answer any questions or is everything okay? And I wanted to sound like such an adult, such a girl. And I said, no, it's fine. And it wasn't fine. I didn't understand anything. So literally it was like me for months, like learning on my own what these things mean when I could have just talked with this mm -hmm, man who was mm -hmm. here, <laughs> you know, to do that for me. So that would probably be the, the biggest mistake. Uh, for example, I didn't talk to my bank counselor in France until a year after I moved here. And it may sound silly, but there were some bank terms and regulations that I never heard before before moving to France. And plus, it was all in a new language, so it was so intimidating, and I was completely lost. Um, so one day, I just, you know, I made an appointment with my bank representative because I wanted to understand why did I get charged this? Why don't I have these benefits and that benefit? And she was really able to sit down with me, discuss the provisions of my account in detail, uh, tell me about different fees that uh, don't exist in the U.S. Uh, and how they apply in France. Mm -hmm. um, different options for savings account with higher interest rates that I didn't even know of. And she was able to tell me about the perks, which was really cool. So for example, um, I didn't know that this was the case back then, but in France, when you're under 26, you're considered youth. That was a really nice surprise. So you're considered in the youth category. Mm -hmm. And um, that actually means that you don't have to pay for a high interest savings account until you turn 26. So I was able to, to open a high interest account uh, for free up until the time I turned 26, which was nice. And there were also other discounts that the bank provided, such as you know free or reduced movie tickets. So all this information I would not have known of if I didn't just 
take the time to go to the bank and talk with the representative there. So it's all about taking the initiative and you know educating yourself about what you don't know and not being embarrassed to ask the questions. Right. You know, <laughs> I think when it comes to money, you work so hard for your money that when you're asking questions about your money, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Like right. if, if the banker's job or the investment advisor's job is there to answer your questions about money, I can ask you any kind of question about my money. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's in my opinion, it is not a stupid question. So if you're listening and you're in that space where Kenya was, where she was afraid to talk to or shy to talk to the Scott Trade Advisor or she didn't ask at the bank, like don't let anyone make you ashamed of anything. Even if you're only depositing $1, even if your right. balance is only 25 cents, the point of the matter is that it is your money. And so you can mm -hmm. ask whatever questions you want to ask about your money <laughs> right <laughs> and do it with it's a straight yours. face like what like what what do you mean don't give me that look what <laughs> and so, that's what they're there for they're paid exactly, to do that that's the job it's part of the job description <laughs> so <laughs> so what advice would you give someone listening who wants to go out pursue their dreams move to paris you know get a scholarship pay off their student loans whatever their big dream is right but they think it is impossible um, so this is a really interesting um, question uh, or topic uh, because I recently wrote about this uh, for a piece in a book that will be re released this summer. Um, but to answer the question, the truth is that nothing is impossible, as I'm sure you know, Bola. And I have to remind myself of this as well. Nothing is impossible. It's just that factor of, of choice and intention as you talked about earlier, you have to choose to live bravely, unapologetically, and go after what you want. And you also need to know that exploring your own interests, it's not selfish, and that you don't have to yield to naysayers or live for someone else. And I think this message pertains particularly to women, um, because I feel a lot of times us women, we feel like we can't take risks. Uh, we can't um, go into the unknown for fear of what may happen. Whereas men, you know, they're, they're grown up uh, with an example of when you take risks, when you fall down, you, you may get hurt, but you'll succeed at the end. Whereas women, you know, we're always told, don't do that. Don't do this. You'll get hurt. And so I think subconsciously we kind of learn to stay away from that. But women especially need to know that they can take risks. They can live boldly and still succeed on the other side. I mean, at 25 years old, I was ready to abandon what I wanted for who I thought I should become, you know, a career woman, a homeowner, things like that, when these are still goals that I want to attain, but those didn't need to be my only goals and they couldn't be exclusive from other things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a friend of mine recently told me uh, something that I completely agree with. And she said, we make the choice to be happy. People, things, or circumstances don't do that, but we make the choice to do it. So if you want to follow your dreams, you have to choose to do it and ignore who or what is telling you it's impossible because ultimately it's up to you. I love it. I love that. That is excellent advice. <laughs> yeah. We do the impossible. <laughs> so you talked about a book that you wrote. I want to hear more about it. Yes, yeah, so I released a book last October, well, October 2017, called 30 Day Connect. 
uh, a guide to expanding your network and unlocking your potential by the end of the month. A kind of long title, but essentially it first started as an ebook, um, a resource for people to learn how to build connections in a multicultural digital environment. Um, because I realized, and it's actually my time abroad and my time as a foreigner that's made me realize how important it is really the the power of connection and the power of personal relationships uh, in life I feel like these I know these are the things that get you where you want to go knowledge is great education is great money definitely helps uh, move the vehicle uh, if you um, if we can say that but it's really personal connections and networking and knowing people and letting people know what you know to get you in certain positions and certain opportunities so I really wrote this book kind of as a guide to help people make connections to network effectively to understand how to communicate uh, their expertise and their personal brand uh, online and in person and how to really use these connections to get to where they want to go because that's exactly the position I was in. I was trying to transform myself professionally and personally and I didn't know how to do that. So what I did was just started reading a bunch of books about the subject. I started talking to so many people, uh, experts, non-experts, people in all different types of backgrounds just to, to see where I wanted to go, to see the advice they could give me. And what I realized was um, it's really through people that you expand uh, your horizons and you experience new things. And so now, uh, since writing the book and releasing the book, I've expanded my network tremendously. I have so many new friends and I have such a different perception of what it means to network or connection building. Because five years ago, if you would have asked me about that, I would have said, oh, I hate networking, it's schmoozing, it's just cocktail parties I'm not interested in, when that is just a tiny, tiny bit of what connection building is. You know, connection building and networking, it's really about building authentic relationships with people um, for mutual benefit. And as I said, without good, strong personal connections uh, in life, uh, just like with money, it's it's hard to do do much of anything. So yeah. uh, really important topic, really close to my heart. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, you all will be interested in reading. <laughs> yeah, and I'll be sharing the link to it in the show notes. And I definitely agree, you know, like we're in this age of everything is digital. You can sit behind your whole computer, I mean, your computer the whole day and have all these conversations, but you're not really making any personal connections. And personal connections are important, you know, and building right. out that real network based on human interaction is important right so um yeah i'm definitely going to share that in the show notes thank you and before i let you go you have to tell me what is your clever girl superpower <laughs> my clever girl superpower. Oh, do i have to just pick one no you can, you can pick more than one you can be a superhero well, i think women with... in general we're, we just have a million superpowers so yeah. it's hard for us to pick um but i guess my clever girl power is my audacity um, I may not always be the most outspoken or the biggest daredevil, but I am always trying something new. And when I want something, like really, really desire something, it's like the eye of the tiger. I can't rest until I've tried it. So definitely audacity, I think, is my, my superpower. It's, 
it's pushed me this far throughout life. I think it's going to take me further. <laughs> I love it. And Kenya, this has been such an amazing conversation. And I'd love for you to share how people can keep in touch with you. Yes, of course. So um, you can keep in touch with me and contact me directly through my website at www.keniahoffmeyer.com. And I'm also active on Instagram and Twitter at it's underscore Kenya. And also on Facebook uh, under my page for my book, 30 Day Connect. Awesome. And I'm going to link all these in the show notes. And um, this has been awesome. And I hope I get to meet you in a week or so. (laughs) Me too. I look forward to it. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bola. So I hope you guys enjoyed listening into this episode with Kenya. And if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please, please do. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and on Stitcher. And you can also listen to episodes and watch videos on the Clever Girl Finance YouTube channel and subscribe there as well. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you love what you've been listening to on iTunes. Thank you guys so much. And I'll talk to you guys on the next episode.